Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. I know it's, you know, five days away, but Merry Christmas. Uh, it, is a, it is a pleasure to be here this morning and to get to bring the word, and I'm excited. I'm excited to be here and to be able to share with everybody uh, today. Um, this past Thursday, uh, we as a youth family met on Zoom and it was really good. It's an interesting thing hopping onto a Zoom call, and you don't really know anybody. <laughs> but uh, we had a really good time, and uh, people ate some weird things, and we had some fun getting to know each other. And so uh, it was it was really good. Um, and I'm looking forward to more of those in the weeks, and hopefully getting to gather together in person in the months to come. This morning, as Pastor Josh said, I get the opportunity to continue in our Matthew series, and, uh, and so we've hit the world-renowned Sermon on the Mount, and yeah, and so we're going we're gonna to dive into that. So the past couple of weeks, uh, Josh has been taking us through the first 12 verses, um, and he's been talking about how the kingdom is the blessing, right? Living in the kingdom, uh, uh, proclaiming the kingdom really is the blessing. Uh, and Jesus came proclaiming that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, what a powerful, powerful message that is. Jesus also talked of the type of people that receive the kingdom, right? Those who are humble, those who hunger and thirst for God, for righteousness. Um, those are the ones who are filled. Those are the ones who the kingdom is for. And, uh, and so he's been talking about that. It's been really good. Uh, and so this morning we continue, and we're in Matthew 5, 13 and 16 today, and so there's a video of my beautiful wife reading the word for us this morning, so you can play the video. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All right, thank you so much, Carrie, uh, for reading that. Uh, you nailed it, so that's awesome. Uh, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. And I think sometimes what has happened in our Western church culture is that when we hear that, we think of salt and light being, you know, the, the really nice people in the neighborhood and friendly to everybody. And I don't actually believe that's what Jesus had in mind when he was calling his followers there salt and light. Um, you know, generally, from my experience, most people are pretty nice. Um, they're pretty friendly usually. Um, and so I don't think necessarily just being a nice person in the neighborhood requires Holy Spirit power. And, and, and I'll, I'll share that by, by saying that a friend of mine who I met in university is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And he is, act, like he is so nice. And he, I actually think he's nicer than me. And, but he's, he's not a Christian. He doesn't follow Jesus. And yet I'm, I'm actually pretty sure he's nicer than me and friendlier than I am, which is maybe I need to work on that in my life. But I don't think we're 
just called to be nice people. Now, don't get me wrong. Being nice and friendly is very good, and we should do that, obviously. But I think Jesus had much more in mind when he was talking of being the salt of the earth and light of the world. So we're going to jump in on salt of the earth. So what is Jesus saying when he calls us the salt of the earth? Well, there are different approaches to this, um, to how to approach this idea of being salt of the earth. So we'll start off by saying, well, what did salt, what was its use in ancient Israel? What was salt used for? So many different, many different things. Uh, it was used as a disinfectant in manure piles. It was used as a preservative to prevent decay. It was used as flavoring for food. It was used as fertilizer for soil. Uh, actually, in the sacrificial system, um, often lots of the offerings were sprinkled with salt. Um, Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. French fries need a lot of salt, right? Like, more salt the better, in my opinion. Salt had many uses back in the day and today. But I think an important clue in what Jesus is getting at here is what he says right after he calls the people salt of the earth. So we'll read that again together. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus says that if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is actually quite strange um, for Jesus to say this. It's very difficult for salt to lose its saltiness. It's a chemical reaction, right, between sodium and chloride. So it, it's, it's really just a chemical reaction. You can leave a salt in, in a jar for years, and when you take it out, it's still going to be salty. So how does salt lose its saltiness? I think this is what Jesus is trying to get at today, this morning. So in Jesus' day, people took their salt mainly from two sources. The rich would go to the Mediterranean Sea, and that would be like good quality salt. They'd get their salt from there. But the poor would often get their salt from the Dead Sea. Now, in the Dead Sea, um, there was, uh, the salt from the Dead Sea was often contaminated by different minerals, especially the mineral of gypsum, which actually looks like salt and can be easily mistaken for salt. However, what that does is that it contaminates the salt so that the salt no longer is salty. It loses its saltiness. It loses its usefulness. It is contaminated. The salt is compromised. So the only way for salt to lose its saltiness is to add things to the salt itself. So the opposite is also true. Whether it be preservation or disinfection or flavor or fertilization, the most effective salt is the purest salt. It's the least contaminated. The more the salt is distinctly salt, the more effective it is, the more it does what it's created to do, which is be salt. So I believe that Jesus is saying to his followers here, he's saying, he's also saying to us, you are called to be distinctly salt. You're called to be distinct. You are called to be different. So in order to have an influence on the environment, just like salt, we need to be distinct and we need to be pure salt. So Jesus is calling us to follow him and live a different way of life amongst the many different options that are out there. And there's a growing voice in church culture 
calling the church to become more like the world, right? Become more like the world so you can influence the world, right? Become more like it. So in a sense, it's the, the call is for the church to compromise. And many, I believe, are following suit in this direction. I think the church in North America, a, a lot of churches are starting to compromise more and more. And probably elsewhere in the world, but in, in our context, I think that's happening a lot. So how, how do we become compromised? How does salt become compromised? How do we, as salt, become compromised? Well, I think when we take on the world's perspectives of success as being defined as health, wealth, comfort, when that begins to infiltrate the church, the church becomes compromised. When something other than God himself takes our first devotion, our first attention, our first love, the church becomes compromised. When the world's standard of morality enters into the life of a believer and the church, the church and the believer become compromised. When we have unrepentant and undealt with sin in our life, we become compromised. Galatians 6, verse 8, the beginning part says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. When we invest our life into our own selfish desires and wants, when we invest our, our life into the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God, we become compromised. We reap corruption. We reap contamination. And then we will lose our saltiness. Jesus is saying, no, becoming like the world in order to influence it is not the answer. So are there areas of compromise in your life right now, in my life? The message of Jesus is simple. Repent from those areas of compromise. Repent. Turn from those ways and turn to him. Because that's what we will find. We'll become salty when we rid ourselves of compromise in our life. Now, the other extreme in this department is we get in a holy huddle. Okay, so we can't, like, we don't want to be influenced by the world, so then we're just going to get away from the world. Holy huddle, right? We don't want to be, we don't want to be influenced by the world. And that, that also is not the answer. John 17, verse 15 says this. I, this is Jesus. He's praying to the Father. It's a powerful prayer. Uh, and, and so John 17, 15 says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's praying for his disciples here. So Jesus is saying, don't take them out, Father. Keep them in it. But protect them. Use them. The only way to influence the culture and the earth, like salt, is to be distinct. And salt can only have an effect when it's actually put in a different environment. Right? If, if salt is, is, is stuck in a jar, it's not going to have an effect. But when you put it on the earth, when you put it on french fries, it begins to have an effect. It begins to do what it was made to do. Jesus called people to be in the world so that they can influence the world. Salt will have a greater effect the higher quality the salt is. The more distinct we become as followers of Christ, the greater influence we will have. So the question is, how do we become distinct? How do we become distinct? Well, there are several different points I want to make here. One is Jesus just finished preaching about who are blessed, right? Telling us who his kingdom is for. It's for the humble. It's for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who walk in right relation with God, who recognize their need for God and realize the frailty of this world. Really, when we take on the character of Jesus, 
When we take on the character of Jesus, we become like salt of the earth. We become distinct. Jesus was the most distinct person who ever lived. So when we, when we, when we take on his character, when we become like him, we become distinct. Really, the Beatitudes show a picture of, of Jesus' character, right? He found his strength in God. He recognized who the source of his life was. He was persecuted. He was pure. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He didn't come in violent force, but in meekness. So when we become like Christ, we are the salt of the earth. When we become like Christ, we are the most distinct individuals and the most distinct community on the planet. Those are the types of people that influence. Jesus was a revolutionary. What he taught, how he lived, it was revolutionary. I mean, we're still talking about him. He's the most controversial figure in human history. He was a revolutionary. See, and then if we go a step further and continue reading in the Sermon on the Mount, we find out more about what Jesus talks about and how we can become salt. See, Jesus lays out this incredibly impossible moral standard of living. He goes beyond just our actions. He goes into the nitty-gritty of our hearts. He lays out an impossible standard. And I actually believe being salt um, lives out this, this way of life. It's distinct. The, 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 the moral standard that Jesus lays out is a distinct standard. Right? He calls us to be distinct in how, in how we spend our time and our money. He calls us to be distinct in how we define success. Do we define success as obedience to the king of kings? That is the distinct way of life. He calls us to be distinct in our sexual ethic. That is being massively attacked right now in our culture. Jesus calls us to be distinct in that. He calls us to be distinct in whom we seek approval from. Paul says that if he sought approval from man, he would no longer be a servant of Christ. Who do we aim to please in our life? That makes us distinct. How do we treat divorce and marriage? That makes us distinct. How we speak, that makes us distinct. How we approach enemies. Like Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. That is a distinct way of life. That is different. The way we pray and fast. We, we are called to be followers of Jesus who pray without ceasing and who hunger for God. That is a distinct way of life. But how we approach crisis and suffering. Distinction is needed. These are all opportunities to be distinct. Especially, when we, especially with crisis and suffering. I think of this COVID season, right? Like, this is a season where, you know, God has revealed a lot of things in this season. And the ones who are salt, they stand out in how they respond. And Jesus even had the audacity to tell us not to be anxious or worry, but just trust God that he'll provide. Seek the kingdom first. Don't worry about the rest of your life. <laughs> that is, like, ridiculous for Jesus to say that. To call us in our culture in 2020 to not worry or be anxious. And yet Jesus says, don't do that. And when we live lives of peace and joy amongst different situations, oh man, we become distinct. Matthew 5, verse 48, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> this is impossible. If you've, uh, I mean, in my life, this is impossible. 
I, uh, I so would like to live perfectly, <laughs> but I can't. It's impossible. I'm so thankful for the mercy and grace of God, how I don't measure up in all these areas <laughs> so many times in my life, and yet God is gracious and merciful. So if, if being distinct, right, becoming more and more like Jesus, his character, his morality, his actions, his motives, right, living a life of complete surrender and love to Christ and his kingdom. So if that's what makes us distinct, if that's what makes us as individuals and us as a community distinct, um, that's, that's actually, that's tough news for us because that's really an impossible task on our own. In our own flesh and strength, this is impossible. We can't do it. The life that Jesus has for us, that he calls his people to, is too much for us. But there is really, really good news for us. Really good news. See, in the book of Exodus, Moses begins to unpack this distinction of the people of God. In in, uh, Exodus 33, verse 15 to 16, this is Moses talking to, to God. He says this, And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The presence of God makes us distinct. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Spirit filling us and transforming us. Right? Today, we've been talking about God with us. That is incredible. God with us. And yet, there's even another amazing truth, the fact that God now dwells in us. He's not just with us. He's in us, the hope of glory. See, Christ isn't just interested in changing our moral behavior. He is after making us new, after making us a new creation, after making us a new kind of community. That's what he's after. A person and a community where the, the presence of God dwells. Where the presence of God dwells. This will make us the salt of the earth. And the presence of God dwells in our community and us as people. We desperately need the presence of God in our lives. We need the Spirit's filling and power. We are called to live as a distinct people and community. And this is only possible by the transforming power of Jesus. See, when he gets a hold of us, when Jesus gets a hold of us, we actually begin to take on the character of Jesus. Without the Spirit's power, we cannot live the incredibly high moral standard of thought life, of heart motive, of actions that Jesus calls us to. But with the Spirit's power, all of a sudden it becomes possible. See, with man it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. The Spirit's job is to transform us. Our responsibility is to continually put ourselves before the glory of God, to put ourselves in a position for God to transform us. He will even help us do this. Like, he'll help us get there. He'll give us desires. What a good God we serve. Like, he helps us to get to the place where he can tra- like change us. Like, what a God. What a good God we serve. What a God we love. See, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this. This is Paul talking. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, we behold the glory of God. He transforms us. 
And then all of a sudden we live with the presence of God. We become distinct. That's amazing. Galatians 6 verse 8. I'm going to finish off the verse now. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The presence of God and his transforming power is the greatest distinction that we have from any other person on the planet, from any other community on the, on the planet. So when our lives are radically aligned to him and his presence and his spirit is transforming us, we live out the purpose of being the distinct salt of the earth that we are called to be. And when we become salty, people will notice. People will notice that we live differently. We live by a different set of perspectives and values. We will live differently in the kingdom of the world. See, this will cause people to either be drawn to us and our message, or it will cause people to run away. Being salt doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It may actually mean tougher times for us. See, Paul was clear that followers of Jesus have an aroma. Have an aroma. See, 2 Corinthians 14 to 16 says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So for some people, we're going to smell like death. <laughs> that does not sound good. And for other people, we're going to smell like life. Okay? And that is the aroma of being a follower of Jesus that is the aroma of being a follower of Jesus. See, when act, oh, when act, when salt is acting like it should, the environment around it isn't neutral. There is a reaction. Jesus many times told his disciples that they could expect hard times if they were to follow him. And it's no different for us today. If we are truly being salt, people will, some people will be drawn to that and be influenced in a positive way towards Christ. And some people will not like that. Imagine salt on a wound, right? Ooh, that stings. It's not always easy. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. Light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here now calls his followers the light of the world. Now, this is also a strange thing for him to do. It was strange for him to call us salt and, how, and talk about, man, like, how does salt, you know, lose its taste? Because it, it's hard to do that. It's also, strange for him to, for, it's also strange for him to call us the light of the world. Because Jesus is the light of the world, right? This is his title. This is Jesus' title, John 8 verse 12 says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light of the world. And yet Jesus calls us now. He called the people there that were listening to him, the light of the world. So in a sense, we are like the moon. We're all like moons, right? Jesus is the sun. So when Jesus' light, when he shines his light into our hearts and, and changes us, we begin to reflect him. We are actually Jesus' reflections here on earth. And this is like crazy. Like if you think about that, like 2 Corinthians 5 says this, that we are 
Christ's ambassadors. Like you are called to be an ambassador of God on this planet, which is crazy. Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is an absolutely astounding thought. It's actually, it's astounding. And I think sometimes we think of, oh, I'm an ambassador and I'm, my citizenship is in heaven. Like, no, like you're an ambassador for Christ. When you walk your day-to-day life, you are, you're called to reflect Jesus. You're called to be an ambassador for him. You're supposed to, to have his concerns, right? That's what you're supposed to be working with. You're, an ambassador comes and presents his nation's concerns and represents his nation. We are representatives of Jesus. We are his reflection. So what does it exactly mean that we're lights of the world? Well, Jesus called himself the light of the world. So let's, let's look at Jesus' life. Jesus is light of the world. So what did he do? That's what we're learning about in Matthew anyways, right? So first, as earlier mentioned, we are called to reflect the character and the life and the actions and the ways of Jesus, right? That's one way that we reflect Jesus is when we, when we actually live like he did, right? When we have his character and his morality, when he transforms us and deals with the darkness in our lives, right? Then we become more and more like him. That's one way we shine our light. But Jesus also went about proclaiming freedom for the captives and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He came as a light in the darkness. Isaiah 49, 49 verse 6 says this, I will make you as a light for the nations. This is uh, being prophesied about Jesus. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus came as a light for the nations. He entered into the darkness. Like imagine, Jesus left his throne in heaven and came down to earth. He entered into the darkness. And he's entered into the darkness of many of our lives, right? And he's changed us and he's moved in our hearts. But when he was on earth here, he he entered the darkness. He spent time with people who were living in darkness. And I think if we were to spend time with the same people that Jesus spent time with, I think a lot of people would question us. Why are you spending time with that person? This is what Jesus did. He spent time with the down and out, with the, the people that were looked down on society, the people that would question, you'd be questioned for spending time with them. Jesus came into the darkness as the light, and he calls us now to do the same. See, people don't cover a lamp with a basket, right? You put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And when you see a city on a hill, you ain't hiding that. That is obvious. Right? I think of, I don't, like, New York is definitely not on a, definitely not on a hill. But I've been to New York before, and, you know, I've been to Times Square. And that is bright. And you can see that light from a lot of different places. Because it's just, it's just, it's just a lot of senses going on at, at the, Oh, I just, what is it called again? Times Square. Yes, it escapes me. Times Square, right? So you notice that. You notice that city. We are now called the lights of the world. We are not called to cover our lamp. We're not called to cover our light. We're called to let it shine. We're called to let it shine. We're called to go in the darkness and let it shine, right? Light, light can't properly be light unless it has darkness around it. 
right? If these candles and this Christmas tree would, would come alive even more, the lights, if it was dark in here. So in the same way, we are called to be bold and courageous, willing to essentially let Jesus shine in us and through us in the dark places of this world. And that actually kind of sounds, sounds scary, right? But that's the call. Jesus calls us to the darkness. And we, we do this through our character, through our morality, through our actions, through our words, through our witness, through our generosity, right? This is the message of the Bible. You know, the, the Israel in the Old Testament was blessed to be a blessing, Pastor Chris Puach talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jesus, a light to the nations. And now Jesus has commissioned his church to be lights. In the end of Matthew, he says, go make disciples of all nations. Right? The world right now is in so much darkness. There's so much injustice and brokenness. And honestly, there's so much hatred in the world. But we as believers, we as a church are called to be salt and light. And this only happens when we get ourselves in an environment for salt and light to be effective, right? We need to be spending time with people who actually are living in darkness. We have neighbors, we have coworkers, family members, classmates, people that we interact with day to day. There are people all across this world, all across this globe that are living in darkness. We're called to be lights to them. We're called to be salt. And so when we are with people, and if we're emulating Jesus, right, if we are, if Jesus is working in our lives, we're with people who are in darkness, we will be distinct. They will notice. And it's not our job to change them, but it's our job to walk daily with Jesus and to seek to influence people around us. And even in this COVID season, however long this is going to last, we can be salt and light. Like, God is not stopped by COVID. He cannot be stopped. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. This is amazing. The crazy thing about being a Christian is that it literally leaves the mundane, boring life in the dust. If you're salt and if you're light, everywhere you go, you're salt and you're light. Everywhere you go, you can actually influence someone towards an eternity with Jesus. That could be the gas station, grocery shopping, going out for dinner, using social media, going to class, etc. In the lunchroom. At coffee break, everywhere you go, you can be salt and light. And so as I finish, I, wanna, I just want to drive home one more thing from this passage. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. I think sometimes we think it's, we can find it hard to believe that. Right? It wasn't like Jesus said, okay, now if you go do these things, you're salt and light. No, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are made for this. We are designed for this. When we're not living as salt and light, we are not fulfilling what God has called us to do and actually what he has created, created us and prepared us to be. But when we are living as salt and light, essentially, when we're living out our identities, we begin to walk in what God has for us. We begin to walk in his calling. People often wonder, what's God's call in my life? And I can tell you with full assurance that you're made for Jesus. And you're made to be salt and light. You are salt and light. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
but he's given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. You have a spirit in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And I think sometimes we struggle with unbelief. I, I can't live this life. I'm not good enough. You're right. You, on your own strength and power, you can't. That's true. But I'm here to say that you have resurrection power living in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to walk in victory over sin, fear, unbelief. It doesn't matter what your past is. We have a redemptive God. He, is, he wants to redeem us as a church, as a people. He wants to change who we are. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I've arrived at this. You know, as I've been thinking on this message for the last couple of weeks, I'm not arrived at this at all. Um, but there's been moments in my life where I've experienced this. I remember um, when I was just out of, out of high school and I was playing on a men's league volleyball team in, the, in Winnipeg. And my cousin-in-law was playing with us. And he, I think he believed in God, but he... Jesus wasn't his savior, his Lord. And his language wasn't always the best. And, and we were pretty much a Christian team. And none of us, most of us didn't really use bad language. And I remember one time, you know, in the, well, as we'd be playing, he would maybe miss a pass sometimes. And he would swear, right? And then after, after months and even a couple years of playing together, there's one moment where he missed a pass. And, you know, he said something, but he, it was different. He didn't swear. Um, and I remember that this, that just stood out to me. I was like, wow, that's different than a year or two ago. And, and now he actually has been baptized and he follows Jesus and it's awesome. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that we had a part to play in that. God used us in, in a little way, right? But we were being salty essentially by even just our speech, you know, just, just our speech. I think other times when I've had the opportunity to share Jesus with people. Either I know them or I don't know them, but there's just a joy and a fulfillment in life when, you know, witnessing to the light, right? When we talk about Jesus with people, I just experience this joy in my life. And it's not always easy, and I, and I get to do it more than I do. But something about when we, when we live as salt and light, Man, we're, we're just living the way that we're created to live. And I can, I can just confidently say that we are made for this. We are made for this. And we are missing out if we're not walking as salt and light. See, if we're hiding our faith, our convictions, if we're hiding those, we're missing out on the life that God has called us to. And this is one of the tickets to a life of experiencing the presence of God, experiencing his joy and pleasure, and experiencing his intimate communion. You can Live this way because the Spirit of God is in you. And we can praise God for that. That's amazing. I'm going to finish off with this verse. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 16 says this. He is the image, is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Church, you were created 
for Jesus. You are made to be salt and light. And the Spirit of God wants to empower us to live this way. And we are made for him. That's amazing. So maybe you're watching this and you don't follow Jesus. Man, you're made for Jesus. He, he is the ultimate satisfaction in life. You're made for him. And maybe you're watching this and you are a follower of Jesus. And just I want to remind you that you are made for him. You're made for this life. And you are fulfilling what God has called you to do when you walk and believe that you are salt and light. And in a world where everything is kind of going crazy in, in many different ways, Jesus calls us to be different and to be distinct. And it's when we are like that, that we will have an influence on people. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And there's so many times, God, that we don't live the way we ought to. We don't speak the way we ought to. Our motives are off. And yet, God, you're so gracious and merciful. And I thank you, Lord, that you want to make us new. And you want to grow us in love, in holiness, in purity. And God, I just pray for us as a church, I pray, Lord, that we would have an influence in the communities around us. I pray that people will come to know you, Lord, that we would be bold and courageous, willing to be salt and willing to be light. Lord, may we not hide our light, but may we shine bright, God. So, Lord, I pray that as we spend time with you, would you fill us so that we, that we may reflect you the way we ought to. Lord, we love you. And we ask that you would lead us today. Give us joy and peace, God. Give us yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining the stream this morning. Um, we love you guys and looking forward to seeing you in the weeks and months to come. Tune in to the Christmas Eve service. Stop by, get a Christmas package from Sherry, and uh, have an awesome day, you guys.